The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad you could join us. Happy Friday. I hope you're having a good one. Uh, today's show is really something that is beginning to break into mainstream media. We're beginning to hear more and more about this topic, but I wanted to give you, my listeners, a subject matter expert who can talk us through the issue of GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, soup to nuts. What are they? Who created them? What are they for? What do we as consumers need to understand about GMOs and their impact on our food supply? Today, we are very pleased to have the executive director of the Non-GMO Project. You can find her website at nongmoproject.org. Her name is Megan Westgate, and we're so pleased to have you on Go Green Radio. Welcome, Megan. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, for the benefit of our listeners who are kind of new to this topic or maybe have just begun to see a few news clippings here and there about GMOs, could you just tell us what a GMO is? What are these genetically modified organisms organisms or genetically engineered seeds? Um, what are they? So that's a great question because there actually is a lot of confusion out there about it. And genetically modified organisms are organisms that have been engineered in a laboratory to combine DNA from different species. So it results in combinations of plant, animal, bacteria, and viral genes that do not occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. So it's a very novel science, um, and typically it's being done to make plants tolerant to herbicides so that they can be sprayed with herbicide without dying. Um, there are concerns about the, the actual process itself because what the, the premise of genetic engineering is that you can splice a new gene in to one place in the DNA strand and that you'll only affect the DNA in that one intended way. So, for example, you splice in a trait for herbicide tolerance and that's the only thing that's going to happen to the plant. But actually, that's a, a really overly simplistic um, way of approaching living organisms because DNA is so complex and dynamic. And what research is starting to show is that when organisms are manipulated in these ways with genes being spliced in from other organisms, genes elsewhere in the DNA can be turned on or off. Novel proteins can be created, which could potentially cause allergic reactions. There's a lot we just still don't understand um, about DNA. And so the science of genetic modification is actually fairly crude and haphazard. There's concerns about the process itself. But ultimately what it does that, that nothing else does is it makes it possible to combine DNA between species. So, for example, one of the first 
GMOs was a tomato where they spliced in antifreeze genes from a flounder fish uh, to make that tomato frost tolerant. So that gives you a good vivid example of that, that product was never brought to market. And actually, just to reassure people, there are no genetically modified tomatoes on the market at this time. Um, but that gives you a good example of the kind of thing that obviously uh, has never been happening naturally. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because biotechnology companies want people to think that there's nothing to be concerned about with genetic modification. And so they make a point of telling people like, hey, we've been modifying food for hundreds of years. This is nothing new. And in fact, that's really not true. We've never before, there's no other technology where genes are combined between species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, agriculture has evolved in, you know, over thousands of years where similar species are kind of grafted in or, or, you know, the, the seeds are, are mixed together and things like that. And some of those kinds of experiment, experiments I know have been happening for a long, long time, but grafting together DNA from completely different species, um, well, that's, you know, that's the stuff that, that old Twilight Zone and science fiction shows were about. Well, who has created these GMOs and why did they do it? I mean, what was the raison d'etre, if you will, of those who created these GMOs? Well, the answer to that's pretty interesting. So the biggest biotechnology company in the world is also one of the world's biggest seed companies and one of the world's major chemical companies. And so the primary motivation for developing GMOs, if you look at at the facts, where about 80% of all GMOs grown worldwide are engineered for herbicide tolerance. So what that means is that uh, you can plant these herbicide-tolerant seeds In theory, you spray your field with an herbicide like Roundup, and the idea with these novel modified seeds is that the weeds will die and these, um, for example, Roundup-ready crops will live. Um, There are a couple of problems with that technology, which I'd like to go into in a minute, but but basically that gives you enough information to, to see that with this model, for one thing, these seeds are patented um, because they have this special trait where they won't die where they're, when they're sprayed with herbicide. And in addition to that, since GMO crops were introduced, the use of herbicides like glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, um, has increased 15 times. So we're seeing 15 times more use of this herbicide and the seeds are now at a premium. Now for the company, the same company that is both selling the herbicide and selling these seeds, that is a fantastic business model, and nobody can argue with that. And and so when you just look at the economics of it, it's very clear that that's what GMOs are about. Now, biotech companies have a lot of money. They're very PR savvy. They put a lot of energy into making the public think that GMOs are about feeding the world or uh, surviving the climate crisis, other humanitarian and environmental things. But the reality is that there are no GMOs on the market that increase yield, have drought tolerance, have any nutritional value. There's nothing for consumers in it. It's all about selling more expensive seeds and more herbicide. 
Interesting. Now, just to be very clear, I want to underscore this point because from a consumer standpoint, I mean, that's a big part of why we do Go Green Radio, to increase the level of understanding and actionable information that our listeners have. So from a consumer standpoint, do GMOs increase the nutrition of our food supply? No, no. There are no GMOs on the market that are even supposed to do that. Um, so as they said, about 80% are herbicide tolerant. Almost all of the rest of the GMO crops grown are engineered um, with an insecticide called BT. So those are BT crops where an insecticide is expressed in every single cell of the plant. And the idea being that if an insect eats any part of it, it will die. So oh, nice. there's a couple of major, from that consumer standpoint, a couple of major concerns there. I mean, first of all, is that really food that we want to be eating if it contains a registered insecticide in every single cell of it? Um, there are also environmental concerns because studies are showing that with that high concentration of BT in these genetically modified BT crops, the insecticide is starting to leach into the soil and get into the waters and have impacts on wildlife. So there, those, that's basically what we have is herbicide tolerance and insecticide production. Um, one of the most famous genetically modified crops because it's been promoted so much by the biotech industry is something called golden rice, which has never been brought to market. It's kind of been like this poster child of the potential of GMO crops to offer some kind of enhanced nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea with this golden rice is it contains vitamin A. The thing is that in most places of the world where people have vitamin A deficiency, they also don't have access to enough food, period. And with golden rice, you have to eat so much of the rice to get any amount of valid vitamin A that it's all just kind of a ludicrous prospect. Um, so if people have heard about GMOs somehow being about improved nutrition, it's probably in the context of this golden rice poster child, which, again, is not in commercial production anywhere in the world. The R&D and marketing focus has really been driven by these um, financially beneficial crops that have no value whatsoever to consumers. Okay, so we've established that. We're not talking about increased nutrition. What about price? Consumers are always concerned about price. Do GMOs lower what we pay for our food purchases? No, they do not. Uh, GMOs actually are fairly expensive for farmers to produce because they have to pay a premium for the seeds, as I said, and then they have to use more herbicide. Um, And there are major problems happening with the herbicide-tolerant crops, which maybe we'll get into a little later on in the program. Um, Mm -hmm. But basically, GMOs are not decreasing farmers' costs. If anything, they're raising them, and so there's no savings benefit to transfer through to the consumer at all. Very good. Well, so now we know uh, from a consumer standpoint that GMOs are not making our food healthier for us and they are not bringing the price down. So in terms of a consumer benefit for GMOs, is there any? No, there is there is no benefit at all. And what biotech companies do is a lot of promotion about the potential because 
theoretically, it's possible that someday someone might be able to genetically engineer something that would have some kind of nutritional benefit. Now, we'd really have to ask at what cost, given that, as we spoke about a few minutes ago, there is instability created in the DNA. When genetic modification happens, there are a whole array of health risks emerging. There's environmental concerns. So so even if someday it were theoretically possible to increase and create some benefit for people, there would certainly be a cost to... Um, but at this point, it's definitely not consumers that are benefiting. It's it's the biotech companies. And um, they had a big campaign a few years ago about how to squeeze more food out of a raindrop, which really implies strongly that GMOs are somehow about drought tolerance, when in fact there are no genetically modified crops that are drought tolerant. So that's the kind of thing that they do that creates confusion in the public. But I think it's important for consumers to understand that there are no benefits to the public at this point, and if there were to ever be, um, they would come at cost too. And I think the bottom line, our whole approach at the Non-GMO Project is we believe that people deserve an informed choice. So it, it's one thing if all this experimental stuff is happening in a laboratory, but it's not. This experimental technology, which benefits just a handful of corporations, is affecting about 80% of our packaged food supply. And there are no labels on products that contain GMOs. So mm -hmm. it makes it impossible for people to know whether or not what they're eating has this in it and whether or not they're being part of this experiment. And so at the Non-GMO Project, we set out to fix that problem by creating a verification program, and I know we'll get more into this, but, but, mm -hmm. but we really believe in people's right to an informed choice. So we verify products that don't contain GMOs, and we label those products and basically give people a way to opt out of this experiment because it does mm -hmm. not benefit the public in any way. Gotcha. Well, there's so much more that we're going to be discussing about GMOs. So folks, don't go away. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we return, we'll have much more with Megan Westgate, the executive director of the Non-GMO Project. So don't go away. More Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Two views. Different topics. Questions. Answers. News. And advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I want to give a big shout out to all my tweeps who are following me at, at Jill Buck. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I really appreciate that. I also appreciate all of my Facebook followers who are listening. If you want to get involved in my Go Green face space, you can find that by visiting my website at www.gogreeninitiative.org. And there you will find the links to all the social media platforms that I'm on, not just Facebook and Twitter, but a whole bunch more. So please get involved in the great conversations we're having on those outlets. Well, today we're joined, in case you're just joining us with for Go Green Radio, we've got Megan Westgate, the Executive Director of the Non-GMO Project. You can find her website at www.nongmoproject.org. Megan, just before we took a commercial break, you were talking about the fact that GMOs are currently affecting about 80% of our packaged food supply. And I would love to know if the creators of these GMOs have done tests to ensure that there's not a public health risk to interjecting GMOs into our food supply. Well, you would hope so, and even beyond that, you would hope that our government had done tests. But unfortunately, GMOs have been approved based on very simplistic testing done by biotech companies. The government has never done any of its own independent studies. And in fact, when the FDA has analyzed biotech companies' test results, they have found problems and reason for concern, and regulators have overridden the scientists, our government scientists' own concerns, and approved the GMO crops anyway. So this is one of the biggest areas of concern about these, is that there have been no long-term studies done to really look at what the health impacts on the human population might be. And this is why GMOs are banned or have mandatory labeling in most other developed countries around the world. So, and I think this is a really important point that we're not talking about some um, kind of fringy potential risk. This is something where, for example, every single country in the European Union, if a food contains more than 0.9% GMO, it has to be labeled, disclosing that information to the public. Um, in a bunch of countries, GMOs can't be grown at all or they can't be imported. So um, 
there are very serious concerns, and, and a lot of that has to do with health risks. Consumers in other countries have basically said this is an experimental science. Clearly, the research has not been done to show to us that it's not going to have a negative impact, and until that research is done, we don't want to eat this. And I think it's really interesting that in the U.S., we grow almost half of the GMOs that are grown in the entire world. We, we, I'm sorry, we grow about as many GMOs as the whole rest of the world combined is another way of saying that. So it's uh, we're in a very unique context of being really inundated with this technology and having it in so much of our food supply. And I think it's really important for the public here to understand that other developed countries in the world are not letting this stuff into their food supply because those those studies showing that it's safe haven't been done. And in fact, uh, though there's not as much research as we would like um, the, because of controls being put on research, which we'll talk about in a bit, I think, but uh, because of those restrictions, there's not enough research being done, and so we just don't know what the impacts are. Um, and right. I want to let folks know that on our website, nongmoproject.org, there's a, a header called GMO Facts, and under that there's a link to GM Crops, Just the Science, which is a great document if people are interested in looking at some of the studies that have been done um, and the results that they're showing and some of the cause for concern. And for me, mm -hmm. one of the biggest things with in terms of the whole health concern around GMOs is you know, biotech companies will say, hey, listen, people in America have been eating GMOs for over 10 years, and, you know, everyone's fine, so they're safe. And this really is ludicrous for a couple of reasons. One is that, of course, I think most of us in this country are aware that America is not exactly a picture of good health. And, of <laughs> course, there are tons of contributors to that. Um, I'm not saying by any means that that's all from GMOs. But the thing is, we don't know to what extent our health problems are related to GMOs. And there's some very compelling research connecting the rise in allergies to the introduction of GMOs in our food supply. I think, you know, a lot of people are aware that allergies have become sort of epidemic over the last 10 years, and that very closely follows the trajectory of the introduction of GMOs. Um, but the other thing besides just that, you know, we're not that healthy as a nation, we don't know to what extent GMOs are an, a factor. For me, because I'm a woman in my early 30s and I'm looking forward to starting a family soon, I'm really concerned about some of the studies that show that GMOs have a negative impact on fertility. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of thing that because we are in the first generation of this experiment, we actually don't know. It's, it's not at all valid to say, hey, people have been eating them for 10 years, we're fine, because we don't know what impact that will have. And there's a couple of studies that have been done one that was commissioned by the Austrian government and one that was done in Russia just a year or two back. Um, in one case, they used hamsters, and in another case, it, the other case, it was mice. Um, in both studies, it showed that um, while the control groups stayed steady, the, the groups that were fed genetically modified organisms by the second or third generation had fewer offspring, smaller offspring, and lower survival rates. And there's this concept called the precautionary principle where yes. where you just play it safe. And so with that, when I look at that, I'm, I can say, okay, well, that's not humans, that's hamsters and that's mice. 
but as a young woman who wants to have a family, that mm-hmm. just freaks me out. And my reaction is I don't want, like, this GMOs have no benefit to me. Why would I put myself and my future family at risk by consuming something that has this negative impact on lab animals? Well, it's true. And on the one hand, you know, companies can say, well, there's no proof that they cause any public health risks. But on the other hand, with the precautionary principle, they'd be required to prove that it doesn't have a public health risk. And it's that other side of the coin that seems to be missing. And, and it, and it's, you know, I mean, I would go so far as to say, and not everyone would agree with me, that it's almost insidious to create a situation where the proof that a, a GMO isn't harmful is to unleash it. Uh, on people unwittingly, without their consent, without their choice, watch what happens, and if we all remain healthy, then we're good to go. That's wow. That's yeah, I I really agree. Powerful. I think it's very irresponsible, and I think that's the difference in U.S. government policy versus other first world government policy, where GMOs have to be labeled or are banned. Is that those countries are following the precautionary principle and saying, until we know this is safe, we don't want to introduce it into our population. And in this country, um, GMOs have been approved, again, based on studies provided by the companies that benefit from them. So there's a real conflict of interest there. Um, And there's actually, I mean, what you said really rings true. There's a great film documentary on GMOs called The Future of Food. And in it, one of the interviews is with a scientist in Japan. And he actually says, you know, they're asking, well, why, why are GMOs banned in Japan? And he says, we are going to watch the children in your country for the next 10 years before we make a decision. And I find that so chilling and a real wake-up call, really, that in America we're basically being used as the guinea pigs of the whole world with this technology, and most people don't even know, and I do think that that's insidious. Well, and I'll tell you, Megan, I mean, as the mother of three kids, you know, that is more than chilling. That's infuriating to me. Um, But it's also, it, it speaks to a larger situation that, you know, the American people who think we're so free and we have so much choice, this has happened without a vote. This has happened without our consent um, and without our knowledge to a large extent. And I, I find that really troubling. And if other countries are looking at our children, what they're also going to see is an alarming rise in the instance of per capita uh, instances of asthma, allergies, obesity, autism. These children of this this present generation are plagued with health problems that are not just new. I mean, some of these have been around for many generations, but they're on the rise. We don't know why. We can't necessarily point our fingers to GMOs, but if they're looking at the overall health of American youth in other countries to determine whether or not they will allow this into their food supply, um, we're not painting a pretty picture of health, as you mentioned <laughs> no, before. No, we're not. Yeah, no. true. Does the fact that GMOs are patented prevent independent testing of the product safety? Um, It prevents uh, research into the effectiveness of the seed. So that's one fundamental thing. And this has been a huge 
issue. Um, there's a great piece published in Scientific American a couple years back where a whole group of 20-something scientists got together and said some of them actually were proponents of GMOs, but in all cases they were saying this is totally unethical and absurd that these we are not allowed to do research to see if the claims that biotech companies are making about these seeds are true because the patents, the licensing agreements that people sign, that they have to sign in order to buy genetically modified seeds prohibit any research. So any of the claims about any of the, the deliverables that GMOs have um, mm -hmm. are not it's not possible to verify them independently. It's illegal to do that, which is just that's not crazy. even yeah, that's not even scientific method. I mean, any anybody who publishes in scientific journals has to provide a way for their studies um, to be replicated, to be verified. I mean, that, that's not even scientific. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's so much more we're going to be talking about. And in fact, we're going to talk about the farmer's perspective, those who are growing our food and what GMOs uh, are doing to their livelihood and, and what's going on from their standpoint. So don't go away, folks. There's much more. Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be joining us, we are on today with Megan Westgate. She's the executive director of the Non-GMO Project, and her website's non-gmoproject.org. We're talking about everything you need to know about GMOs. If you start to read about this in your newspaper or whatever news app you have on your smartphone, um, and you're wondering what GMOs are, this episode is going to give you the the soup-to-nuts explanation of what GMOs are and what you as a consumer need to know about it. Now, Megan, you know, I really want to cover the farmer's perspective because they are our frontline heroes of our food production. And I'm wondering, from their perspective, is there an upside to going with genetically engineered seeds? Great question. And to answer that, I'd like to talk a little bit about what's happening with the herbicide technology, so all the crops that are Roundup ready or engineered to withstand other herbicides. So again, that is the primary trait that is being used in genetically engineered crops. It's about 80% of all GMO crops bred worldwide are herbicide tolerant. So again, the idea with these crops is that uh, they can be sprayed with herbicides like Roundup, and in theory, these crops are supposed to live and the weeds die. Now, what is actually happening is that with there's been a 15-fold increase in the use of these glyphosate-based herbicides since these crops were introduced. And what has started to happen in the last couple of years is that the weeds are developing a tolerance to the herbicide as well. So farmers are spraying their fields and the weeds aren't dying. And of course, you know, as nature has evolved and more weeds are becoming tolerant, they're spreading and, and they're, those weeds are doing very well and causing big problems for farmers. Because ultimately, the main benefit that was proposed to farmers is this is going to be easier for you. You'll be able to grow more acres with less work because instead of going out and hand weeding and spot applying herbicide, you can just send a tractor out and douse the whole field in herbicide. Um, So potentially, if that technology worked, it would allow a farmer to uh, grow more acres. Um, And of course, the cost of that, regardless even if the technology wasn't having massive failure, is that there's a huge increase in the use of herbicides, and that's going into our food and our soil and our water and, you know, adding to the toxicity of our planet. So that's a huge problem. But beyond that, because the technology is starting to fail, it's actually a major epidemic in farm country, and it's been covered in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Major media has been picking up on this last summer and the year before, um, but it's increasingly becoming a problem. And the biotech companies' responses has basically been add more herbicide, add new herbicide. If you spray the whole field with Roundup and some of the crops live, then spot apply 2,4-D. And they're actually now um, applying for approval of crops that are tolerant to 2,4-D, which is the major ingredient in Agent Orange, um, and dicamba, which is another super toxic herbicide. It's really clear because of what's happening right now that GMOs really are Uh, an extension of the chemical agriculture model. It's about using more chemicals. And so the the potential theoretical benefit to farmers that was presented, it it really has not been delivered. And I think 
the question then is, well, why would any farmers grow these crops then? Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard talking to people, it, it, one of the main reasons is because the biotech companies have been buying up all of the seed companies. Mm-hmm. And so they are controlling what seeds are available to farmers and in many cases, what they're doing is, you know, as we've talked about, there are no GMO crops that um, increase yield or have any enhanced nutrition. But improvements like that are being made through traditional breeding, so outside of the GMO realm. And what biotech companies are doing, because they are controlling so much of the seed supply, is when those improvements are made through traditional breeding, they will only make them available to farmers in combination with a genetically engineered trait. And what they gain by doing that, what the biotech companies gain, is that they can then have a patent on the seed and they get a premium for it. And so the farmers are really stuck between a rock and a hard place. I've heard um, corn seed farmers say to me, you know, we get our list of uh, varieties that are available in our region and it's like, you know, 20 things that are genetically modified and maybe there's two at the bottom that aren't, that, you know, no one's doing R&D on, no one's improving. Um, there's a big effort within the organic seed industry to correct that and do more research and that's really important. But, but right now, the benefit to farmers is uh, pretty much nil and, and they're really in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. What's happening to the soil? I mean, besides the fact, you know, and, and I think it was either last week or the week before that uh, there was an article that I tweeted about in one of the mainstream media outlets about super weeds and, uh, you know, these uh, herbicide-resistant weeds that are popping up in multiple states, dozens of states, I think. Um, but what's happening to the soil as a result of all this repeated herbicide use within the same season? Well, it's depleting the soil, for one thing, um, and uh, it, it potentially affecting the microorganism and, and the life in the soil in pretty serious ways. I mean, just repeated herbicide use has that effect. You do not get healthy soil by spraying it over and over with chemicals. Um, there is more information about what's happening in the soil and just different research that's been done on that um, on our website. And um, I would encourage people who want to find out more about that to look there. Since I am not a molecular biologist, there are others <laughs> that can speak to that part better. But, you know, I am, so my husband and I live on five acres um, out in the countryside and we grow as much of our own food as we can. And, and so I do have that perspective of what makes healthy soil and certainly we would never spray any chemicals on our soil. Mm-hmm. Well, we had Eric Herm, who is the author of the book, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. He was on my show last year, and he made the point, you can't treat soil like dirt, <laughs> Yeah, which was kind of a cute way of saying, you know, you really do have to protect the the ecosystem that lives within the soil that creates the premium conditions for growing the agricultural crops that we depend upon. And that Let's makes talk our for- food more nutritious also, in addition to ultimately... I mean, there is, with the use of all of the herbicides and and chemical industrial farming, we have lost so much topsoil in this country, and it's really a very short-term fix to spray something with herbicides. Maybe you kill the weeds that one season, um, maybe not, and and then at what cost long-term for future generations? Right. I'd like for you to talk, Megan, about the issues 
um, that people talk about with the cross-pollinization and, you know, contamination between GMO and non-GMO crops that might be planted, you know, within the same vicinity and how this has impacted the organics industry and, and farmers who would like to remain with traditional seeds. Talk to us about that. Well, this is a fundamental problem with the fact that this experimental technology is being grown out in open air because, of course, pollen does travel, and especially corn pollen is the biggest concern because about 88% of all of the corn grown in the U.S. in 2011 was genetically modified. So that's a lot of GMO corn pollen blowing around. Corn pollen, uh, corn is a wind-pollinated plant, and Corn pollen is very light. It can travel miles easily. And so there is a very real concern about um, the the right to grow food that's not genetically modified, and especially with the growing demand from the American public to opt out of the GMO experiment and have non-GMO food, it's very problematic that, that these GMO crops are spreading their pollen everywhere, um, and it, it can be very hard to control. Um, there are things that farmers do to mitigate the risk of contamination, starting with planting seed that has been tested um, for GMO is is a really important first step. But then um, another key thing that they do specifically to address pollen drift is they'll time their planting so that um, with with hybrid corn, it's only tasseling that is in the stage where it's spreading pollen for a week or maybe two weeks of the year. So what organic or non-GMO farmers will do is just time their planting so they're either planting earlier or later so that their corn isn't tasseling at the same time as their GMO neighbors. There is a cost to that, though, because basically there's an optimal time for planting your corn depending on your region and, you know, how, what, how many day variety it is. And if you plant earlier or later, you take the risk of an early frost or a late frost or other um, weather challenges that you don't get when you can just plant at the most optimal time. And so that's just one of the many um, damaging impacts that GMOs have for all the good people who are trying to grow our food organically and non-genetically modified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, and, and maybe this is an unfair question to ask of somebody who's not someone who produces GMOs, but in your opinion, why are the makers of GMOs fighting groups that want food labels that will let consumers know whether or not their food choices include GMOs? I mean, if, if there's really no harm to GMOs, then what do the makers of them have to worry about if we label food? Well, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think it's <laughs> It's kind of a rhetorical question because, I, I mean, I would, yeah, I, it, I think it's a really good point, basically, is if they think this technology is so great, just tell us that it's there. And, you know, one interesting thing to look at is with um, produce codes, you know, the little PLU stickers that you find on fruits and vegetables. Sure. Um, it, this is just interesting trivia, but with organic fruits and vegetables, all of those PLU codes are five digits and they start with a nine. And so you can tell by looking at that little sticker if you've got an organic product. Um, There is also a code that's designated for genetically modified fruits and vegetables, 
and that is an eight. I have never seen an eight used. Now, it's not required to be used. It's optional, and it just kind of shows you, you know, anyone that grows their food organically, you're going to see that PLU code. You're going to see a USDA-certified organic logo on the front of the box. People are proud to be growing organically. So why, I mean, just to put that question back, if GMOs are so great also, then why don't they use these codes? Why don't they label it on packages? Why don't they let people know? Yeah, I mean, if you're proud of the product you sell, why not? Uh, why not let the world know? And I think, uh, I mean, really, the answer is that they know that people. My, what we've seen is that when people know what GMOs are, when they realize that it's affecting 80% of packaged food, they don't want to be experimented on. Mm-hmm. And if given a choice, they will choose non-GMO. And I think that's the thing, is that biotech companies know that because there is no benefit to consumers with this technology, that if it were labeled, people would choose not to buy it. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, that would be devastating to their business model. Well, this is America. I think we want to vote on this. <laughs> I think we Sounds want to good. say we expect uh, at least that much in a democracy like America. Well, at any rate, we've got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, there's much, much more about what you can do as a consumer uh, to be involved in what's in, in your food supply, what's in your food chain. And uh, Megan's going to talk to us about that. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. This is our final segment of the show, and I almost wish that weren't the case because there's so much more I'd like to cover with our guest, Megan Westgate. She's the executive director of the Non-GMO Project, and we're learning so much about GMOs and um, what's going on with our food supply. We've established earlier in the show that GMOs don't increase the nutritional value of our food. They don't reduce the price that we pay for our food. Uh, they don't necessarily help farmers with the price that it costs to uh, grow their agricultural 
products, whatever their their crops happen to be. Um, and so it begs the question, what are we doing? Why are GMOs part of our food supply? And Megan, what I'd like for you to do is talk to our listeners, who many of which are everyday consumers who go to the grocery store every week and purchase their food there or at farmer's markets, um, and they may be feeling a little bit helpless right now. But I want you to tell them what they can do, empower our listeners to take action on what we've talked about today. Great. So that's what the Non-GMO Project is all about. We basically decided, you know, if our government is not going to put labels on food that that contains GMOs the way that the governments in the EU and Japan and Australia and um, lots of other places around the world do, then we at least want to let people know the things that are not GMO. And so what we have is a product verification program where we require ingredient testing on any risk crops. And just so people know, the major risk crops, and this is listed on our website, nongmoproject.org, if you go to what is GMO, you can see which crops are genetically modified. The good news is it's actually a relatively small handful of crops. It's corn, soy, cotton, canola, and there's a a few others. Um, The problem is that they are really ubiquitous crops that are used in most packaged food. And because of that, about 80% of packaged food in a conventional grocery store is at risk for containing GMOs. So what we do is work with food manufacturers to uh, set up best practices and and verify that their food does not have GMOs. and so people can see a list. We have thousands of products that have already gone through the verification program. Um, the non-GMO project verified seal is appearing on products now um, in, in growing numbers. It's been showing up for about a year now. And people can go to our website and see a whole list of all the products that have been verified. You can search by category. So if you want to go see, you know, what's a, um, a snack food that's, been verified or a non-dairy beverage that's been verified, you can search by category. You can also search by brand. And if the product that you search for doesn't show up as being verified, there's a tool on our website so that you can actually submit a product enrollment request. So if your favorite cereal um, has a lot of corn in it and isn't non-GMO project verified and you're worried that it might be GMO, you can, which it probably is, if it contains corn and it's not GMO, especially if it's not certified organic, um, you can submit a product information request and we'll pass that along to the manufacturer of that product and let them know consumers wish that your product was non-GMO. And that's um, a great tool that we just launched a couple of months ago. And it's really empowering because ultimately consumers do have a lot of power over this issue. And our whole strategy is to leverage the marketplace because when you vote with your wallet and you say, I want non-GMO food, I want a non-GMO future for my children, it has a big impact. Manufacturers respond. Um, so that's a that's our, a market-based strategy, um, and I would encourage people to look at our website. There are a couple of other great strategies at play in play right now, too. Um, one of them is there's a petition right now to uh, demand that the FDA label GMO foods. Um, the FDA has said that GMOs are substantially equivalent, so we don't need to look at them, we don't need to analyze whether or not they're safe, and we don't need to label them. And this petition, which if people go to justlabelit.org, 
They can Mm -hmm. see this petition to the FDA and add their signature. And a big part of the effort with this is just to show, we've got over half a million signatures already. It's just to show D.C. that Americans do want non-GMO. They do want labels on things that contain GMOs. And getting as many signatures as possible just helps represent the voice of the country, which I think is really important. Um, And the third thing that I want to mention is there is an initiative to put GMO, mandatory GMO labeling on the ballot in California um, for the 2012 election. And so anyone who's in California, um, I definitely would encourage you to check that out if you go to caright2know.org. You can find out more about that effort. Um, The idea with that is because California is such a big state is that if mandatory labeling can get put in place in California that um, hopefully manufacturers would just change their packaging for for all the other states as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's actually a strategy that impacts people beyond just California, but, but certainly everyone in California that's eligible to vote should be checking that out. Well, hey, and let's look at it this way. If somebody really wants GMOs in their food supply, well, the labeling could help them too. So, you know. Exactly. Uh, it's-, it's all, ultimately, <laughs> it's just about informed choice. So yeah. exactly, whether you whether you are concerned about GMOs or not, very few people disagree that we have the right to know what's in our food. And, um, and, it's, and so labeling, whether it's seeing a non-GMO project verified label or whether we can get some of this mandatory labeling of GMO foods in place. Either way, what it does ultimately and most importantly is give people an informed choice. Exactly. We're not, you know, we're not doing anything except giving people freedom of choice through information. And that's America. Thank you very much. (laughs) You know, uh, last year we had, it was late in the year, we had uh, the supply chain, one of the uh, vice presidents of supply chain for one of the largest grocers in America, that's Safeway Corporation, on. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the kind of food choices that people can get in a grocery store. And what if we're concerned about, you know, certain types of, of foods or certain types of ingredients, you know, what can we do to say to a major grocery chain, you know, please let us know if some of these things are found in the products that you're selling on your shelves, whether it's BPA or whether it's GMOs, whatever. And he encouraged us to reach out to the grocery stores and say, look, um, I'm concerned about this issue. And maybe for, you know, for purposes of this show, I'm concerned about GMOs. I want to know if you and your supply chain folks are buying uh, foods that have GMOs in it, I want to know. I want to see that labeled in my grocery store. That's another way for consumers to interact with the people who have a lot of influence on our food supply. So I'd encourage you to also, uh, you know, communicate your wants and your preferences to your local um, grocery store chains. That's another way to do it. Absolutely. And we do have a list on our website of um, over a thousand retailers across the country who support the non-GMO project who participate in non-GMO month, which is an event we do every October. Um, this past year is our second annual non-GMO month. During that time, all of our supporting retailers put um, shelf tags up by non-GMO project verified products and um, provide educational materials and events in their stores to really help educate the public. Um, and a lot of, of these grocery stores at this point and the bigger grocery chains have private label products also that they make in-house. And so um, one really inspiring example is 
with Whole Foods, they have all of their 365 products mm-hmm. are enrolled in the non-GMO project. So that's another really powerful thing that a grocery store can do is, is to put their private label products in. And, and it's really true that consumers do have so much power over this issue. And I think that's a great suggestion to talk to your food store, ask them if they have a non-GMO product policy, what they're doing to educate people. Um, and then again, of course, actually choosing non-GMO project verified products and supporting that is a great way to protect a non-GMO future and food supply. Well, Megan, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. That's a wrap for this week. But, folks, if you want to know more, go to her website at nongmoproject.org. Remember, we'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.